0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to A six hundred and eight after hours. Uche Mechi and I are here today with Marina Lee. My name is Monica Higgins, and we are very much looking forward to our conversation with Marina. In just a minute, and we'll introduce her, and we'll give her a chance to introduce herself. Um, but first, we're just going to think back on the last week in class. We've had a couple of classes now in A six hundred and eight, and Uche, what are you thinking about this week?
1: What am I thinking about this week? One of the main themes that has popped up and has had me reflecting on my practice is just kind of how responsive you have to be to the context. What, how, how, does, how does the structure that you're using for your team work or respond to the context? And I'm thinking about that both in my section as I think about working with the TFs and with the students. This larger teaching team, and then at Hugsy, like what kind of st- structures are we using? What kind of organizational structures we, are, you, are we using to get things done? And how responsive are they to this unique context that we're in, where everything's shifted underneath us? What about you, Monica? I totally agree.
0: I'm definitely thinking about what model works when, um, particularly in a crisis situation. Um, it's important to think through, you know, maybe you might want to switch leadership styles. Maybe you might want to switch up the structure of the team and how you're delegating, whether you're delegating, when you're delegating. Um, I'm also thinking about culture just more generally. What does culture mean? how it relates to not just the kind of job that you choose and thinking about the culture of the organization you might join or the team you might join, but also how you as a leader might actually craft or create a culture, as I know the students are gonna be doing as they start with their own study groups, which they will be getting together with. Soon. So um, with that in mind, uh, Marina, we welcome you back to A608. Marina Lee has um, been so generous in coming back to A608 many years as a panelist, an alum of the school, Um, and we love having her back. She provides just a wealth of perspective on uh, entrepreneurship and education, in particular, um, thinking about the international um, landscape of education, how that's changing, how you go about being an education entrepreneur in an uh, in international context. Um, Marina is the founder and executive director of Kojita, whose goal is to create change makers through civic awareness and leadership. She's also the executive director of Envoys, which creates education programs that challenge and inspire students to become better world citizens. Through this work, she and the people she's worked with and the students that she has inspired um, that her team has worked with have established a global presence in Korea, Colombia, China, and the United States through all these different organizations that she's founded. I know Marina knows this. I often tell her she's a serial Uh, entrepreneur. Uh, First time I met her, she was working on an initiative we actually wound up writing a case about. Um, But you should know that Marina's work has been recognized at HGSE um, in our 100 year celebration for social impact. She's also the co-founder of Let's Talk, a conference at HGSE uh, among many, many other things. It's amazing how many balls Marina can juggle um, at the same time, keep them all in the air. Um, but Marina, welcome, it's so wonderful to have you and um, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you for joining. Thanks so much, Madoka and Uche, and thank you so much for the kind introduction.
2: It's really a pleasure to be here. I do just want to make one quick correction is that I'm no longer uh, uh, as a part of the leadership board for Envoys, but now on the the board of advisory for Envoys, so just want, I, I'm sorry to update you on that. Got
0: it. Your career is changing
2: as we speak. <laughs> right, less hands-on stuff at Envoys now. Got so uh, I wanted to just share a little bit about Cogeta Education Initiatives and what we do. Uh, thank you, Monica, for uh, for introducing Cogeta briefly. So we're a mission-driven organization that focuses on developing students to have a deeper sense of self, excellence, social responsibility, and global and ethical engagement. Uh, And every aspect of our services, which include admissions counseling, identity development programs, and these awesome global and cultural competency initiatives reflect these core values. Our main, the the goal of really what we're trying to do is we're assisting families and students to redefine what good is and what success is advocating for more of a humanistic approach to education, which is especially needed in the admissions process where one's identity is often, too often, associated with, you know, brand names and uh, and socioeconomic status even. Uh, so a lot of my work throughout my life has arguably been about this, you know, from teaching ESL to young neighborhood kids when I was literally five years old, (laughs) to starting a tutoring program in eighth grade for younger kids struggling in various subjects, to helping international scholars uh, with their grant proposals when I was at Rockefeller University doing some scientific research there. Um, And during this process, I met so many students of many backgrounds, all socioeconomic classes, countries, cultures, religions, ethnicities, and it really humbled me and helped me put my own life into perspective and and really understand for my own self what the meaning of life actually truly is. And then when I see um, so many students struggling over their own identities, I can't help but want to uh,
0: to help support them. Wonderful. It's so helpful to hear. Um so even with your many, many different roles that are constantly changing, I still will call you a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> you have always been that. So you've had many, um, you know, takes at uh, shaping organizational culture and shaping team culture. And that, of course, is one of the themes for the week. So I'd love to ask you kind of more of a general question. How do you think about building organizational culture as you embark on launching or scaling um, a venture or an initiative in education? Sure,
2: happy to answer that. So building an organizational culture for me has always been a revolved around uh, the people, uh, people who you hire and the message that you're giving to the organization and the work that you do. And all of those things are intricately tied together. Um, It gets really complicated, though, when for a global organization like ours, we have time zone differences, uh, different cultures with different values, different definitions of good, what good work means. You know, speaking of what good and success means, different personalities um, that are influenced often by the culture uh, and different levels of experience, different, you know, gender, age and also various social norms that are confronting team members, even if we are all on the same page of our aligned vision. Uh, you know, for example, we could have one parent talking to a, um, one of our counselors indicating, I get all the social emotional learning stuff, but come on, like, I don't want to learn this. I want my kid to understand how he can get himself to Yale." you know, and so like, these are things, that, you know, we're like, well, but, you know, in certain contexts, especially, you know. At, they're really heroes in so many ways of our movement. Um, but like in China, for example, um, a lot of our business development team who are all educators, masters of education, they have a solid sense of what our vision is. But they are dealing this with this on a daily basis. And it's, you know, it's in a way, it's like, how can you blame parents, right? This is what they know. They don't really know um, all the the complications of the the various identity conflicts that they could be giving their children. Um, so our role is to listen to the parents, understand where they're coming from, but then bring them to another level of understanding of, Of developing their children together as a team, Uh, and so in order to create that type of culture, when you have people faced with those type of questions on a daily basis, who are also thinking, "Oh my God, am I like, is my brain like going in the same direction as these parents?" You know, we have to provide also even mental cultural support to bring them back uh, to to combat in some ways against the social norm. And uh, and so that's that's been a real challenge. Um, and some who have even said, oh, my gosh, I i something like, I'm so glad, Marina, that we're we're meeting again as a team because this was such a hard week for me. And I started to lose faith in what we do because it is really, really hard to go against the grain uh, with this uh, the idea of what education should be especially with the pandemic, not being able to see each other during our biannual retreats. Um, You know, we're a virtual community. We have counselors and employees, staff members all over the world. We have California, Philadelphia, Florida, here, uh, but then we also have uh, in China, all different places in China. But we also have our partners and um, and other team members in Korea, and then also in South America. So, how do we deal with these multiple uh, differences and mm-hmm. so many different levels? Uh, so, not having a biannual retreat has made it especially around the pandemic, so, so difficult for us, because that was a time when we would gather together, we would have a refresher of systems, refresher of policies and operations, but most importantly, a chance to be realigned again in our mission and our goals, and the reason why we even joined Cogita together to begin with. So that has mm-hmm. been a major challenge, um, mm-hmm. and then in terms of creating that culture, what we had to do then instead was to compartmentalize to some extent and, like, target various Specific areas of the organization to make sure that we can keep our culture. So, what is our culture? Our culture is one where we want each of our team members to feel highly valuable. They are extremely important and pivotal to the success of the organization. They have a high sense of accountability, which I believe will come if they feel that they have that they they play an important role. Um, where they're really caring. We focus on caring so much. I mean, we give birthday cards and wishes and someone got sick and we send them flowers at the hospital. I mean, this is probably one of the most caring organizations you can be a part of. So in order to do these things, uh, one thing that we've been doing is continuing to, with our managing director in China, having weekly meetings to make sure that he can continue to meet with his staff there and talk about uh, and encourage flexible hours. Hey, if you are having kind of like a bad mental health day, take a break. It's okay. You know, so we have unplugged days where no one is allowed to literally be on any kind of device. I have to say that not everyone follows it. So we have, we've been trying to enforce this a little bit more, um, but, you know, making sure that we have something like that going on, um, giving massages, you know, like give, not ourselves personally, but, you know, mm-hmm. giving gift certificates for massages uh, for those um, that are going through a really tough time and just kind of feeling a t- like being, Feeling the pulse of each other as well as the whole value of the organization,
0: um, we do lots of free That's lunches.
2: So
0: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we
2: do lots of. Ho- it lunches sounds like and-
0: it's so intentional, Marina. It sounds like you know these systems and structures that you put in place are intentionally building this kind of culture. I love, love hearing that. I wonder if we can. I can ask you a little bit more of a kind of personal leadership question, which I think picks up on this. Mm -hmm. Um, when you think about your own identity and your own background, how has that impacted you as a leader and, um, how you've been an architect of these various organizations? Sure. Um, I'm
2: Asian American for those that cannot see me in person. (laughs) And so what does that mean? Um, I come from a Korean background and immigrated when, um, I was about four years old or so. Uh, And the whole idea of immigration at the time, especially from that country, was all about education. So you're coming to the U.S. for education. This was loud and clear, explicitly stated over and over and over again in your household. This isn't just a single uh, a singular incident with me. this is something that many Koreans and many other Asians can relate to uh, and Although our organization isn't only about Asian you know uh, families and and the work that we do uh, spends beyond that, we do have this root that comes from uh, feeling of a controlled identity of design that social norms have have made us into, you know, or tried to make us into. And that's one of the things that uh, I think has developed uh, the organization um, very deliberately. Um, we, the point of Kogita and other organizations that I had started is how do we, um, how do we go beyond this um, the social norm that maybe no one really critically thought about about how that impacts our mental health and our ultimate, you know, overused word, but happiness, uh, and even tap into our own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so for us, um, at the time, the idea of of not pursuing a high level of education and not fulfilling being a doctor, you know, the role of being a doctor or an accountant or engineer or even a news anchor woman, which was a big thing also during my time with my dad, it's completely negating then the sacrifices and hardships of of an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And it means that you're putting everything to waste. So if you can imagine the weight of that on a child, to feel that if they don't perform a certain way and don't meet a certain standard of expectation socially and academically, that that pretty much meant that you have failed the entire family and even your entire generation, like your your entire line of families and ancestry. So to have that kind of weight on on a five-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 16-year-old, a 25-year-old, where that verdict doesn't change unless we actually intentionally put it in a different way and that's the role that we come in is how do we and again this isn't just about Asian culture this is really about anyone who comes from different backgrounds how do we help students truly see what they're really good at what their Mm -hmm. um their strengths and weaknesses we like to call them opportunity areas of growth um the the things that make them click how do we start from there from their internal self and not to try to meet an external expectation. And that has very much been a part of my own life, uh, you know, growing up with, uh, with a very traditional set of parents. <laughs> so in, in that way, this is when I started to realize, you know what, uh, there were so many aspects that were great for me, but so many other aspects that were not healthy for me. And would I have been able to yes. find my path earlier if I had known this, if someone had told me different things at a much wow. earlier time.
1: Yeah, that's powerful. Wow. So Monica was asking about how do you design your team, about the culture? How do you actually build your culture? So we've got the different contexts and trying to bring people together so you can address, build a culture. But we've also had one shared context that may be different in different places. This is the pandemic and people's personal, their maybe familial response to it. And then of course the countries and wherever they're they're in, that's impacting you. And there's this sense of it's a, significant, it's a significant shift probably in terms of how people are dealing with it themselves, but also as an organization. So can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking about it and maybe how your organization has been responding to this huge shared contextual cr- shift, which I'd call a crisis? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Good question, Uche. Oh, There's so many layers to this from a policy, political level to social perception level of America's soft culture or soft power, as some may put it. Um, And uh, and there's a difference between what we hear um, from from families of all over the world uh, along these particular lines. Um, So for example, we just started our China office in China. So yay, it was our first time. We our, our China staff have gotten paid officially through the China office. So this was a big celebration for us. Um, well, at the same time, I have to be honest with you, you know, it's like, yes, this is great, but so many of the parents are wondering, well, okay, you are an organization that focuses on global education. But do I feel comfortable um, having, one, influenced by non-Chinese onto their own students' mindsets, uh, you know, considering what's going on for those that are maybe very nationalistic one way or another? um, Two, the policies that are going on in the U.S., you know, there's, there's a lot of pushback and a lot of fear, um, and that concerns us not from necessary policy business level, to be honest with you. It really concerns us from um, the mental <clears throat> the mental health level of the parents and families. So many of them um, are concerned about the safety of their kids. Many of the international students have act- were actually here and not able to go back home. Um, so how do we uh, this really was a crisis, how do we help? 13-year-olds, you know, 14-year-olds find their way back home from all of, to all over the world to all different destinations uh, when plane tickets were going very like there were no more, you know? So, like, what do we do with that? Um, and so some of them had to stay with people that we knew. Some had to stay with um, their school and making special arrangements. Uh, and meanwhile, the parents are freaking out. Ultimately for us, it wasn't, and going to go back to what I mentioned earlier, it wasn't about the policies. The work that we do is really fully it's human. It's mm-hmm. it's human work that we do. So that's something that we have to remind our parents. It's not about going to an American college or a UK college or a college of Japan, it's about your child, your family, and what your family feels is safe for you and how you can grow in the best way possible despite the pandemic, and also use the pandemic as a way uh, of learning opportunities and handling crises. So we've been going in that type of mode of direction and and not including any of the policy stuff, you know, because ultimately that's what connects us together. You know, it's it's about this.
1: Can I ask a quick follow-up question? So how are you thinking, it sounds like with the curricular responses, you are thinking about what can we do going forward? How are you Are there ways that you're reacting to this craziness, um, whether it be the pandemic itself or the second order effects that you think are just for now, but maybe things will go back to normal or are there like larger structural shifts that you think that you're going to make with your team going forward, not knowing what the future may, may give?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question, say I think curricular structure wise, we are going to move much more uh, strongly on things like our social emotional learning courses, our identity development courses, but also include in things regarding how to deal with crises and how to help others during this kind of situation from an organizational perspective. Because we were uh, mainly virtual anyway, I don't really see a major uh, organizational shift in terms of that type of communication. um, I do think that, um, and I hope to uh, plan on um, resuming what we did before, which is having our biannual meetings uh, in person, that's probably not going to change. Uh, dealing with four different time zones, there's no way that unless we go into someone's 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., that we're going to be able to have people awake and alarm, you know, for mm-hmm. this training. Um, so mm-hmm. that, that won't change at all. So for the most part, I, say, I, th- I think we'll just go back to what we did. And then honestly, though, take it from there, because one of the strengths of Kogita is to be working with the personalities and the creativities of our team. So if they have different suggestions, and they have, then we may actually do an entire organizational shift if we think that that's that's what makes most sense.
1: Uh
0: Yeah, you know, it's so fun listening to you. I hear the the entrepreneur who takes risks, but they're calculated. Entrepreneurs take calculated risks. you know, um, we want to thank you so much for being with us. Um, I'm just going to share a couple of things that your this conversation got me thinking about and then pass it back to Uche. I love hearing how intentional you are about creating culture. The examples that you gave, um, just even the small examples about what you do for your employees, giving cards, noticing, and celebrations as well as, you know, illnesses, etc. I mean, all the little you know your meetings and so forth that you were kind of saying, Oh, I don't know how we're going to do these, but we need to do them. These are structural interventions that can impact culture. So, as a leader, I hear how intentional you are. That's one thing that I, I took away. In addition, um, I loved your answers to our questions about how your own identity and background has shaped your work. You hear, you know, your own upbringing, upbringing, your own imprint, your own, the influence of your family, your culture, and so forth, that is really carried over into your work. It's enabled you to be, you know, a leader who empathizes very well, clearly, with your clients or customers, Um, and I think that's important. You know, sometimes we think about entrepreneurs as kind of coming up with an entirely new idea that's disconnected and must be, you know, something completely new, and perhaps it's something I've never thought about before, but in fact, if you think back to you know how you yourself grew up and what you've been interested in. That passion comes through if you can make those connections. And so I really hear the passion in your work and those connections. So I so appreciate that. Thank, Thank you, Monica, you. For your kindness. Thank
1: yeah. you. Like, as far as my um, takeaways, I'd like to build on Monica's first takeaway, which is your, like the intentionality around how you're thinking about your organization and building the culture. One specific thing you said earlier, I actually wrote down and I've underlined as we kept going, was being ex- very aware of the uniqueness of each of your team members or each of your office's unique context. Their norms that they might be um, situated in that's different than either what your organization wants to do as a whole or just other members. I remember when we were talking through the Eric Peterson case, this was one of the big pieces that came up. He wasn't necessarily aware of like the demands and the norms and the context of like his higher ups or the people he was working with. And so couldn't really figure out, which is what you're doing, how to bring them together. And I think the intentionality around that, being aware of that, working with that is super, super, just super incredible. And I think it's something that a lot of the students I can learn from, too. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Jane. I just want to add a quick thing there. Uh, and, and thank you both for saying so many kind things. But I have to say that it's because of the team that has allowed us to do this. It's because they have been so strong and so passionate uh, in the work they do. And they've been so collaborative. And without that, I mean, there's no way that we would have this kind of intentionality and have that succeed.
1: Great. Yeah, Love that's... it. Love it rings. Hey, rings,
0: Marina, do you? Yeah, totally rings true. I agree. Um, do you mind if we end with some fun rapid fire questions? Sure. Okay. So one of the things um, we'll have to send this to you, but our intro to the course this year, they had us do a little video intro and <laughs> Uche and I just got to talking and then we wound up including it in our intro Was what ice cream, favorite ice cream, but I'm going to ask you more generally because maybe you don't like ice cream or sorbet. Excuse me, AJ, who likes sorbet? I think <laughs> the nectar it was sorbet, of the gods, right? remember? Sure. Yes.
1: The nectar of the gods,
0: <laughs> Last I forget. Um, what is your favorite
2: dessert? Yeah, so it's tiramisu and homemade mm. vanilla ice cream with lots of berries, uh, but definitely both.
1: <laughs> Together? Together. Yes. That's interesting, interesting
0: that combination of flavors. I'm gonna have
1: to think about this.
0: But it has to be homemade vanilla <laughs> ice cream.
1: <laughs> homemade by you or?
2: Well to be honest uh, with you I, I tried it at a hotel and that was just really
0: good.
1: <laughs> sounds awesome to me. Oh love my it. Love it. What do you what is one thing that you're grateful for right now?
2: So I can't help but go to the pandemic. And um, I have to say, it's honestly having a husband who has been so caring and supportive of helping to take care of my own dad Mm. during the pandemic, because we're going to have him live with Mm. us. And Seth has been such an angel with that. He's like, we're going to be better people. We're going to have so much fun with him. I mean, just to be able to embrace this Mm. has been something that I am grateful for every day.
1: That's powerful. Wow!
0: Thank you. I love that. Yeah. Um. And then, last question for you: What's one thing you wish someone had told you about life after HGSE after Harvard? Oh, there's so many things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so our I would say, you know, so one of the things that I know at Hugsy and I think even in my life, we've been talking about, like, follow your vision, follow your passion, you know, that's kind of like a rhetoric that we hear all the time. But I think, I think it's really, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, I think it's our professional teams, actually, is what makes us succeed. It's not about your own vision. It's about working together Mm. with others who have similar visions and drawing upon each other's strengths to make it work to accomplish that vision. And Mm -hmm. honestly, we spend hardly anything on marketing, like really hardly anything. And yet we've been able to grow and even like exponentially. And though, yeah, I mean, we're still, you know, on the road to get to larger and bigger things, you know, onwards and upwards. Um, But to be able to do what we've been able to do with such little budget for marketing. I mean, literally like not even four digits sometimes, you know, like it's incredible. And I, and that again is what I'm, I'm so appreciative of. I guess another issue is, is the team.
0: Yeah, I love you. Ending on a team note, I and we love did not it too. prime her. We did not prime her, <laughs> but we thank you just the same, Marina. Um, thank you so much, and we just really enjoyed our conversation. So it was wonderful to talk with you, and we wish you all the very very best. Thank Likewise. you so much. Looking oh, forward to seeing
1: what new adventures you create, you serial entrepreneur.
2: Thank you, Jay. Yes. Thank you, Monica. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope this is helpful
0: to the to the students. No doubt, I think it was. No doubt. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye.